are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. It is a Theology Thursday here on Westwood One on the Steve Day Show podcast. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here as well. We would love it if you would join us too. Here's how you can chime in. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Theology Thursday coming up here in Un Memento. But Our podcast each day is powered by CRTV. They underwrite this cost in order to make it free for you, the people. And one of the reasons why they do so is because they're just so dang proud of the programming they do each and every day at CRTV, which includes our show, Mark Levin, and many others. And we like to kind of just dangle a little preview of what we do each day at CRTV in front of you with the knowledge that if we pique your interest you can use my name, D-E-A-C-E, as a promo code at CRTV.com and subscribe to CRTV for only about a quarter a day. That's all it will cost you. About 25 cents a day to see all of the great programming we do each day at CRTV. And let's give the audience a preview of some of the programming we did today for CRTV, Todd. Well, we talked a lot about uh, immigration and Listen, uh, the people are fickle in general these days, so at the end of the day, can only be so sure. But I just think we're increasingly getting into Occam's razor territory regarding election 2018. Uh, the, the level of hysteria, unfactual hysteria, that the left keeps doubling down on uh, says uh, to me... Uh, that a Republican Congress, regardless of whether they deserve it or not, or even want it or not, is going to hold firm in November. Aaron. Um, Nate Madden likens something to Droopy Dog. You'll never guess what happens next. (laughs) Yes, that happened on our roundtable today. So if you want to watch our show today on CRTV or any of the other outstanding shows we do each and every day, again, promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, will get you a discounted subscription. How discounted? How's a quarter a day sound? 25 cents a day is about what it will cost you to watch us on CRTV each and every day. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. It is a Theology Thursday, and Todd, you mentioned that the bulk of our show on CRTV was on the immigration issue. That's going to be the subject we're going to tackle on CRT, or here on Westwood One on the podcast as well. Now, on CRTV, we we dealt with it today strictly from the political angle. Uh, Where are things at from a public policy standpoint, from a public opinion standpoint? What could be the political fallout from the developments that have gone on with with this fight uh, throughout the course of this week? We've only talked about it merely politically on CRTV, but today on Theology Thursday, we're going to discuss immigration primarily, and I hope exclusively. It, it may be unavoidable because we're debating it right now again, but as much as possible, we're going to keep this theological. What do, what do the scriptures really say, and what do they not really say when it comes to the issue of immigration? 
So we're going to start there. Earlier this week, I did a Facebook Live for Conservative Review. Breaking down, we did this crazy thing, man, where we like opened up the Bible and let it speak for itself. Just, we're nuts like that, you know? And so I did this Facebook video for a conservative review talking about what the scriptures really do and really don't say about immigration. We're going to start off the podcast today, rather than resetting that entire thing, because I put a lot of work into that Facebook. I don't want to repeat myself. I'm just going to let you hear it. We're going to play the audio of that Facebook presentation, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time on the podcast for Theology Thursday this week, and Todd and Aaron are going to have follow-up questions based on the presentation you're about to hear right now. I'm Steve Dace with this week's Facebook countercultural video for Conservative Review and CRTV, where each week we take a look at the intersection between culture and conservatism. You've been lied to quite a bit over the last few days. Well, let's face it, you've been lied to quite a bit over the last several decades, all right? But the lies have dialed up to 11 on the issue of immigration in recent days. And a lot of it is because people are cherry picking. We call this hatchery. Cherry picking parts of the Bible they wish to use to make their hackneyed partisan political points when that really wasn't the Bible's intention. So instead of trading fake talking point for fake talking point and fake news for fake news and hot take for hot take, I'm going to treat you like an adult. We can do that in America still. Who knew, right? I'm going to treat you like an adult, and we're going to talk about what the Bible does and doesn't say about immigration because we're going to let the Bible speak for itself. We need to begin, though, by making a couple of points, starting with this one right here. If you consistently deny biblical morality and authority, as the left does, or that the God of the Bible is the only true living God, as many on the left also do, the odds of you properly interpreting the scriptures on a single matter of any importance whatsoever are pretty much slim and none, right? Let me put that in another context. If I don't know you on a personal level, I've never met you, or I met you in passing, if I have no real deep deep relationship with you, I'm probably not going to be much of an authority on what it is you really think, right? Well, the same thing works with the Word of God. When you reject its sovereignty, its supremacy, you really don't know what it says. I mean, you can't deny God's authority as the progressives do and then claim you speak for him. Well, I mean, you can, but chances are once you do so, you'll show yourself to either be a heretic or a hack. And there's been a lot of that. Nor can you pick and choose verses Christ preaches about how we are to treat one another and use them as sweeping conclusions about government policy. Because in fact, Christ was very clear in the New Testament. He teaches, he represents a kingdom not of this world. And he resisted calls to use his messianic power to acquire worldly power and influence. Also, because God is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's what that means. Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament too. See John 1, book of Colossians, and more on the divinity of Christ in the New Testament. Therefore, the God that set up Old Testament Israel's immigration system 
If you're a Christian rightly and properly dividing the word of God, you recognize that that was not another God or Father God. That was God. There's only one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So that God was Jesus Christ. Okay. It is true that in Old Testament Israel's immigration policy, God placed a high priority on kindness and hospitality towards aliens and sojourners. Therefore, God would not and does not approve of treating people in your land, either legally or illegally, as subhuman. As Christ said, love your neighbor as yourself. Even the dreaded Samaritan usurper is your neighbor. Therefore, there were some of you on the right who, when we had this last border surge under Obama that the liberal media wants to pretend never happened in 2014 and 2015, when we were separating kids then too, remember that? Well, you probably do, but suddenly the liberal media has forgotten about all of that, right? Well, when we had that last border surge where children were being separated from their parents in 2014, 2015 under Obama, remember when Glenn Beck and Ted Cruz went down to the border, brought food, water, clothing, soccer balls, you know, showed just basic common human kindness. There were some of you here on the right with me that criticized them. You were wrong. That's why I criticized you at the time. There is never an excuse to treat someone as subhuman unless they have done something that makes them immediately a violent threat to your God-given right to life. Beyond that, we, we, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's an important point to never forget. We will strengthen our argument against amnesty by practicing love, not by rejecting it. However, for our friends on the left, we need some uh, word definitions here. Alien... What does alien mean? Foreigner. Doesn't mean permanent resident. Okay. Alien means foreigner. Sojourner means passer through or person on a temporary journey. At least that's what it means in English. Do you know what the word is in original Hebrew here, by the way? Ger. G-E-R is what this word is translated in the original Hebrew from the Hebrew word ger. And that Hebrew word, by the way, has no civic definition at all. It strictly is referring to someone that will be a convert to Judaism. It doesn't address whatsoever someone that came to Israel with no intention on converting or assimilating. In fact, the idea that Israel would entertain people that would not convert or assimilate was completely foreign to the immigration system that God gave the ancient Israelites, which makes us attempting to translate from the Bible its and its precedent what to do with our immigration system is uh, it, it, it's really very difficult to do. For someone to permanently emigrate to Israel from their former country, God demanded total assimilation, total, even religiously. Here's some examples right out of the scriptures. You can read these for yourself. Here's some examples of what that means. Here's how God demanded assimilation, complete. For example, you couldn't set up Little Edom or Sidontown in Israel. If you wanted to live in Israel, then you must become an Israelite, including the forsaken forsaking of your foreign customs when they conflicted with Jewish custom and law, and your foreign false gods all had to go. No religious pluralism in Israel. 
For example, some civilizations were so wicked, God banned them from immigrating to Israel. The Israelites were commanded, for example, to totally vanquish the pagan, demon-worshipping people originally living in the Holy Land, Canaan. They were to banish them from the earth extinguish them. For example, God also banned the Moabites, descended from the incestuous pairing of Lot and his daughters, from immigrating to Israel for 10 generations. That's at least 400 years, depending on how you translate that in the Bible. See the book of Ruth for how this is resolved, right? A lot of you at your weddings, you know, we did this at my wedding, and you know, my wife loves this verse in the book of Ruth. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. We use that as our scripture reading at our wedding. That comes from the book of Ruth. You know what that is? That is Ruth converting, she is leaving the Moabite culture and religion behind to reassimilate into Judaism. And Ruth, by the way, I think represents the 10th or 11th generation after Lot. All right. That's how much assimilation was prioritized in God's immigration system. Another example. The Jews are permitted to resettle the Holy Land after the diaspora. That's just a fancy word for the dis, uh, when they were dispersed around the world, punished, scattered by God for worshiping foreign gods. The great priest Ezra arrives to see the Israelites. This is in Ezra 10. Read this for yourself. People say there's, there's no advocation of mass deportations in the Bible, except when there is in Ezra 10. The great priest Ezra arrives to see the Israelites have returned to intermarrying with pagan demon worshiping people, which God explicitly forbid them to do. So how does Ezra resolve this grave national sin? With a mass deportation that separated families. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, we should immediately follow suit. What I'm saying is our friends on the left that are attempting to use the Bible to determine America's immigration system don't literally know what the hell they're talking about. That's what I'm saying. They are literally just hacking away and making this up. They have no idea what is or is not in the scriptures and should not be considered credible, therefore, on any level whatsoever. Let's continue. Because you hear this every Christmas. Well, the baby Jesus was a refugee or alien who got to go illegally to Egypt to escape Herod. That's not true either. The baby Jesus was not a refugee or illegal alien when he escaped to Egypt from Herod with his parents. Both Palestine and Egypt were under Roman control. Neither nation was a sovereign nation. It's more like the Dukes escaping Boss Hogg in Georgia to hide out over the state line in Florida where Boss Hogg didn't have any jurisdiction. They were not separate sovereign nations. They were both provinces of the Roman Empire. That's why they could get up in the middle of the night and go to Egypt because it was like another state of Rome. It was not another country. That's another lie. We hear this every single Christmas. That's a lie from the scriptures and history as well. So what does all of this mean? These four things. People who deny the Bible's authority should never, and I mean never, 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 ever, never, never, you mean never, Steve? Never, never, ever, never, 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 ever be trusted to tell you what it does and doesn't say. Never. Never. I can't, I can't stress that enough. Let me say it one more time. Never. Next, it's tough to put God in our partisan political boxes, which is why we should never try. Follow the example of Abraham Lincoln. I'm not sure if God is on our side. I'm more concerned if we are on his. 
While the Bible provides us a general moral framework on how to live and govern ourselves to our own benefit, because no one loves us more than God, it was not written as a free people's public policy textbook. It's a love letter from a creator chasing after his rebellious creation. Don't take it out of context. God's word tells us what to think. We don't tell God's word what it says. So if you're uncomfortable with anything in the scriptures, that's your problem and not God's. Nor are you God, but a mere mortal here today and gone tomorrow. Which brings me to the final point here. Seek after truth, not opinion. Everyone in hell being tormented and separated from God for all of eternity as we speak right now, they all have one thing in common. They rejected truth for opinion. So if you're reading the Bible to support your hackneyed political opinions while rejecting what it says about you as a sinner in need of saving, it's not trite for me to warn you that by doing this, you are risking your eternal soul. All right, so that's our Bible study. That's our exegetical look. What the Bible says to us, not what we say to it, about the issue of immigration. Let's get to some follow-up questions. See if there's any dangling participles. You know, I'm, I, try to, I try when we do Bible studies or when I do preaching, I try to do it very Calvinistically. Calvin was famous for answering people's preemptive objections in his sermons. And so they could go on a while. Right? He was famous for thinking of questions you thought you would have to exempt yourself from accountability to what he was preaching, that he would attempt to preemptively answer them in his sermon. But if I did that on this issue, it'd be like a 45-minute Facebook video that like no one would watch, right? So I tried to do this hermeneutically sound, but also understanding everybody's attention span. So I'm sure... There are some dangling participles, some whole, some loops that need to be closed. Aaron, I'll start with you. So you said in that video, excuse me, uh, you said in that video that it's not the government's job to show empathy, correct? Yes. Uh, meaning that it's rather a Christian's individual responsibility to show empathy, I think, in the context of what you were talking or about. Or the church right? as an institution. The church as, as an institution. Um, my question would be, if government is made up of ostensibly, uh, well, not ostensibly, but probably some Christians, uh, members of the church, how do you reconcile the government carrying out a law and it's not its job to show empathy with the fact that the way they carry out law is through people? That's a great question. Um, and answering that, I could not have answered that in the video because it would have taken several minutes. It's a okay? whole other video. It is a whole other video. Because here's some things we need to recognize. We just stipulated that a Christian is to show empathy, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And again, what does that mean? It, it doesn't mean, well, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't love myself. I, I, you know, I'm goth. That's not what it means. I can't love other people. That's not what it means. It's not self-esteem. Yeah, it's not self-esteem. Because you may hate yourself. Are you, you know, unless, unless you are clinically depressed, and if you are, please get help. You know, my wife's a counselor. We believe in mental health in our home as believers. Okay, please get help. But even if you're down on yourself chronically, did you eat today? Did you suffocate yourself? See what I'm saying? Did you give yourself basic necessities? Did you still provide those for yourself? So you may be down on yourself, but you're still willing to put your self-interest first on some level. 
That's what it means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It means replacing you as the center of the universe or center of your universe with others. That's what it means. Okay? And so that's what empathy means in the Christian worldview. Bearing one another's burdens. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So empathy, stipulation one, is a non-negotiable for the Christian. We agree, right? Correct. Non-negotiable two, tell me if you agree with this. There is no no point in time where a Christian is permitted to deny their faith in a situation. To set it aside and say, well, I don't need that right now, or that's not working for me right now, and so I'm going to do this instead, or it, it, it's dangerous to me, uh, either to my life or dangerous to my livelihood. Um, we can deny Jesus, we can deny our faith when it's convenient to us. We cannot do that. We have to. We take the. We take our Christianity with us everywhere we go. That's stipulation number two, right? Correct. Right. All right. So it's kind of like what you and I have joked about for years, Todd. When Kennedy ran for president as a Catholic, all the Protestants didn't want to vote for him because they were they were afraid he was going to listen to the Pope. In the 80s and 90s, when Benedict and John Paul II were Pope, evangelicals only, Protestants only wanted to vote for Catholics that were going to listen to the right. Pope, right? It's amazing how these things turn, okay? Why? Because we wanted to know, are you going to take orthodoxy with you in the public office? Or are you going to be John Kerry? Why can't impose my faith on other people? We attack them for doing things like that, right? Because we recognize as Christians, we are not given the option of deferring our faith when it's more convenient to utilize it. We are to be salt and light. If you're a Protestant, you believe in the priesthood of every believer. You believe you take the priesthood with you everywhere you go. And if you're any kind of Orthodox Christian, you believe you have the Holy Spirit living in you and it is here to use you, your body as a temple, to be the hands and feet of God's will. We all stipulate to that, right? right? Correct. And so we want people in government with the right worldview. And even if that worldview includes empathy. So here's how that could work itself out. I would say it would work itself out relationally without, without sacrificing justice. And this is how people can say... I want a border wall. I want extreme vetting. It blew me away. You want to talk about a lot? I know we live in the era that self-awareness is dead. But even by today's era of self-awareness is dead, to see United Airlines tweeting out that they don't want to have, they don't want to take part in immigration uh, flights for the U.S. government anymore. Didn't they like Uh, kill a dog three weeks ago? Yeah, I, I seem to recall that we had some folks, some immigrants take some of your flights and kill 3,000 Americans with them on September 11, 2001. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think if there was a single cotton-picking airline on planet Earth that'd be in favor of a secure border and some v- extreme vetting of immigration, it might be United Airlines, just saying. Okay? But you may be a person that says, I want vetting of immigrants. I believe in national sovereignty. At the same time, The nation that created weapons of mass destruction, the atom bomb, the nation that put a man on the moon, the nation that brought the world back from Axis Axis hegemony in World War II on the brink of it 
to beating back the Nazis and the fascists and the Hirohito worshipers, and then had the compassion while beating them back, the same nation that dropped the atom bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, rebuilt the economies of those people once they surrendered. Meaning we dropped justice on them twice in the form of a mushroom cloud for what they threatened the world with. And then when they jumped on the USS Missouri, tail between their legs and surrendered. They surrendered unconditionally. We accepted their surrender. And, their, and, the, and we acknowledged their repentance and over the course of the next couple of decades helped them rebuild their civilization and re-enter the civilized world. That's a great example of empathy and justice working together. And I think you can absolutely therefore say the same nation that has proven throughout time, not perfectly, but when needed the most, it can walk and chew gum at the same time. It can kind of balance the scales of empathy and justice because of the character of its people as the de Tocqueville line. America is great because she is good, and when she ceases to be good, she will no longer be great. Now, there's some debate. Did, did Tocqueville say that, or did Eisenhower first say that? I'm okay, depending on what, what historical footnote you put in there. But either way, that's one heck of a quote. Okay, The same nation that did those things in the past can surely find a way to defend its border without mass separations of children from their parents. That's where I think we can walk that fine line. Does that answer your question or require a follow-up? No, I think that does answer the question. And I think, um, if, if I can follow up as well, the, the whole reason why we are in this position, the whole reason why I even have to ask that question is because the leaders, the elected leaders, quote-unquote, in this country themselves lack empathy. Mm-hmm. Because they, la- they lack empathy because they do not want justice. This is evidenced every time a Republican tries to sell out on amnesty or Democrat calls for open borders. Yep. They may say it's empathy for somebody else. It's actually their dereliction of duty as an agent of the government within God's framework for government, within the created order, that they are actually not carrying out their duty of um you know, what, what they're called to do for their own people. And so the whole reason why we'd be for, forced into this is because there is no, um, they're, they're not in mass, not enough, there is no thirst for justice from leadership, and there is no true empathy for the people that they are called to protect and bring justice for. Yes, empathy, empathy for the Christian is a non-negotiable even when it's not returned. Correct. Okay. We have to love our neighbor as we love ourselves because we love because Christ first loved us. He loved us enough to die for us while we were his enemies. So, you know, Jesus is very explicit. You aren't, you aren't just permitted to only love and care for the people that you love and care for or love you back. So for, for the church as an institution, for the Christian as an individual, empathy has, is a non-negotiable whether it's a two-way street or not. In, a, in the civil context, what Augustine would call the city of man, or what, what a more explicitly evangelical hermeneutic would, would call the sphere of government, all right? But let's just go for, in, in, in a civil society, in a pluralistic civil society, um, empathy has to be a two-way street. And whenever it's not, it is either pandering 
or it is the cover for tyranny, one or the other. And that's what you're seeing on immigration. And that's, Aaron, what you just described. Yes. Because, you know, we're constantly told to have empathy for people living in, in squalor and poverty we couldn't possibly imagine. And we should. And I think when we live in a nation founded by people who came here uninvited and took it from cultures that we would all agree are inferior than the ones that they that 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 that, that took it like we talked about when we brought this up the last time I'm I'm glad I'm glad I'm going to church on Sunday in America and not exchanging wampum okay the pilgrims had a superior culture to the native americans period period anybody that doesn't like that you don't find that polite politically correct sell off all your all the wares of western civilization sell off all the accoutrements of western civilization call the local reservation tell them to leave you a reservation you're going okay show us your conviction for the downtrodden and renounce the west embrace your inner cherokee thank you that means though if we're going if we're going to acknowledge that was the superior culture we also have to acknowledge it originates on this continent from people who were not invited here they came here and took it so i'm not sure we necessarily want to be on our high horses about people trying to escape parts of the world that are bad that's where our ancestors came from you know what i'm saying here right okay now the difference between us and and now and them then well, we have an actual sovereign nation capable of defending our borders and our people. They didn't. If they did, they'd still be here. You sure we're capable? Willing is not the same <laughs> as capable. That's where I was going to go next. I was going to just say that. We are capable. The question is whether we're willing. Whether, we're, whether we think our civilization is worthy of being conserved. Whether we do think it is the, that the, that Western civilization is the superior culture willing to, and it should therefore be preserved and conserved. When liberals like the one, or progressives like the one we saw from Fox News on our CRTV show yesterday, say we want America to be more like Europe and that's why we want open borders, what she's really saying is she doesn't really believe in Western civilization anymore. Because Europe is, Europe, Western Europe anyway, has given up on it. The former Soviet bloc countries, that are the, 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 the blossoming first-generation democracies, they're, they are holding firm to it. They're trying to grow it because they just came out of what Europe is trying to go back to. They just came out of that. We just, we just spent decades with Pope John Paul and Margaret Thatcher in, my, in our childhood who came from Poland and England, one from a country that fell to communism in Western Europe and another one that did not or kind of near Western, right there on the border of Western and Eastern Europe. And one that was pushing back. And now we're, we're in the generation where we, we would have told Lech Walesa and his solidarity movement, dude, man, we got free healthcare and education here. Why are you guys protesting? That's what, that's what we do now. We'd have college professors stand up now and say Lech Walesa is a fool. I mean... Castro's the hero of the story now. They were doing that then too. Yeah, but now they're in government. <laughs> they were doing that then, but now they're now they get elected presidents yes. of the United States. <laughs> now they almost get the Democratic nomination in 2016 by doing it. What was Hillary's lament when they asked her, "Hey, why'd you struggle to turn Democrats out?" Well, I mean, two of them are socialists, and I like making money. That's what she said. That's probably the truest things a woman's ever said in her freaking life. Is when she said that. So we, we need to have empathy for people that want to escape here. 
Those of you that can, and there were some of you in this audience, I remember. You condemned Glenn Beck and Ted Cruz for going to the border and showing common human decency. Shame on you. No. We should have empathy. But empathy doesn't mean that other people get to tithe with your money. That's not what it means. Empathy is not the same as I give up that which I have rightfully earned. Empathy doesn't mean we don't have any justice. Empathy doesn't mean we just look the other way when children are being used as drug mules, which sadly is the case sometimes at that border. So what happens is in our culture right now is empathy is often a one-way street. We have a grievance-driven culture, not a truth-driven culture. It's driven by grievance. And there's a lot of people on the right that saw the grievance-based culture work one way for the left for many years and decided they'd like to have it work for them now. And that's where the Trump phenomenon came from. We have a grievance-based culture. We are an identity politic now. Everywhere. Everywhere it's identity politics now. And it's just a matter of which base of grievances has control in order to pander to their particular grievance base. There's no empathy anywhere. So I've never been in favor of a separation policy. You've never heard me advocate for it, ever. I got emails from people telling me, while I was on the front lines fighting at the risk of being ostracized from my own work environment at the time, while I was on the front lines fighting against with Daniel Horowitz and Heritage and those people fighting against Marco Rubio and the Gang of Eight. Some of you sent me emails because I applauded showing those children kindness and said that I was soft, I was a cuck. No, we don't do that. Do not mistake my zeal for justice and sovereignty to mean I don't believe in empathy. And do not take advantage of my empathy to believe that I will not hold you accountable to justice and sovereignty. As believers, we're supposed to be able to model multitasking to the world. As the Gospel of John says, though the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Behold his glory, the Apostle John says, the one and only, full of grace and and truth. Grace and truth. Is it grace or truth? No. What is it? What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the conjunction there, guys? I think it's and. and. Simultaneous. Same time. So do not use my empathy to take advantage of me. You will not like me when you do that. I will, I will teach you what justice means. On the other hand, um, because I believe in justice does not mean that that doesn't mean I don't care about you and I don't love you. But, you know, it's funny. In, in the Bible says, don't let the poor emotionally manipulate you. Don't let the rich dominate or intimidate you. One of my favorite verses, it's kind of an obscure verse in Proverbs. I think it's 630 and 31. When a hungry, starving man steals from you, you are not angry at him for being for being hungry. Empathy. That's empathy. You understand his predicament. He's hungry. And and by the way, this that that's why the law, the Jewish law, called for the leaving of gleamings or gleanings at the end of your at the end of your own. Hey, you take what you need to keep your family 
and your keep your family fed and financially afloat. And then what's left over, leave it there. Notice, though, that the poor had to work. They had to get up, actively go to get the gleanings for themselves. No one just stood there with a hand out of the city gate and said, hey, here's your welfare state, Benny. Nobody ever did that. So there's empathy. When the hungry, starving man steals from you, you're not angry with him because you understand his plight. You have empathy for him. You'd, you'd be tempted to steal too if you were hungry, right? Next verse. He still must repay what he has taken from you sevenfold. He still must make restitution for being a thief. Because you have a need, the kingdom of God does not permit you. We're not, you know, Robin Hood's a great story. It's not biblical. You are not permitted in the kingdom of God to take what doesn't belong to you because you have a need ever, ever, never, ever. It is not permitted. The act of stealing unto itself is a sin because it shows you have a lack of faith in God to provide for you. For if his eye is on the sparrow, if he clothes the lilies of the field, will he not you, made in his image, whom he loves all the more and gave you a soul that he didn't give flowers and birds, will he not take care of you? Well, Steve, what if, what if they don't? Well, that's the sin of those who have that are not providing for those who have not. But you don't get to steal. That's vengeance, not justice. And so what's happening is we are lacking empathy. Empathy is all one way. There's, there's no empathy for where, where, this is what we talked about on our show on CRTV yesterday. Where is the empathy for the, where are the Christian leaders? Because I have to tell you, I've fought this immigration battle with guys like Daniel for the last five years. And a lot of these evangelical leaders that are coming forth now to have their voice heard were nowhere to be found when folks were losing their jobs, losing their lives, losing their properties. Nowhere to be found. Didn't hear a single one of them. Well, maybe there was one. 90% of the names you're hearing come forth now. Never heard their voices these last five years. Where was the empathy for the people that are working honestly? Paying their taxes honestly. Where's the empathy for them? Empathy in a civil society must be a two-way street. Otherwise, it's either pandering or it is a cover for tyranny. Got a question, Todd? I do. Go I ahead. just wanted to, that was a pregnant pause. I wasn't sure if you were reloading there. <laughs> no, no. I wasn't sure to throw it to, so you're up. Go uh, ahead. First, a general question, and then a more specific follow-up. It's undeniable, after uh, what you put forward on Monday, that the Bible does both explicitly and implicitly say things about immigration. That being said, using the framework of uh, Jewish law comes under multiple categories of disagreements about how many, were mm-hmm. moral, civil, ceremonial. Uh, etc. Once you start looking at it, what degree of confidence do you have and the degree to which the things the Bible says about immigration can and should translate beyond the Jewish people or which, if any part of it, is for a specific chosen people at a specific time to help propagate that nation throughout history? That's the general question. And B, that being said, since 
we've talked Monday. We have obviously transitioned, as we talked on the television show today, to very specifically talk about the main point of progressives is open borders. Mm -hmm. What lessons does the Bible teach about the dangers or appropriateness about open borders? Let me take the second one first because it's the most, it's the more cut and dried one, so I can answer it simpler sure. and quicker. There's no advocacy for open borders anywhere in the scriptures. You know, we talked before about it's tough to, you know, there's not a lot of voting in the Bible. They didn't have a, they didn't have a lot of freedom as we understand it today <clears throat> throughout Bible times. And, and some of the examples you see are bad. You know, give us a king. Uh, we reject God as our appointed ruler. We want a king like everybody else. We kind of got together, thought about this, and we voted. We voted. We don't want God in charge. Um, give us Barabbas, okay? So the examples of voting you often do see, unless it's like the the apostles casting lots to replace, um, you know, Judas. A lot of them are not good examples. All right, so we have to be very careful using the Bible explicitly as a voter guide. And we have to be very careful as a voting guide, I should say, not a voter guide, a voting guide. Uh, I, we have to be very careful using the Bible explicitly for anything it wasn't explicitly designed for. It is explicitly to be a love letter telling the story of God's redemptive plan for his rebellious creation. That's why there's some poetry and that's why there's some history. That's why there's some law, and that's why there's some deep-seated theology, and that's why there's some basic common sense proverbs, you know what I'm saying? You have the diversity of content there because it's not explicitly a civil textbook. It's not explicitly a marriage counseling textbook. Those things can, you can derive good things from those, from those fields from the word of God. But the diversity of content is, to, is because are there psalms in a counseling textbook? No. You ever been to a law school and there were psalms? You're reading through. I'm reading through Blackstone's, and there's just randoms. Is there a chapter of psalms in Blackstone's commentaries in the common law? No. Why? Because what's in there? Just laws, precedents, thoughts on the law. Why? Because what is it primarily? A law book. So it's primarily about what? The law. The Bible has a diversity of content that addresses various topics. But the diversity of content is to point you to its primary purpose. Knowing God. That's its primary purpose. Knowing God. And so I think we need to be very careful about drawing explicit public policy formulas, outcomes, from the scriptures at any point in time. That answers your second question, right? About open borders. About open borders. Yes. Okay. And, and, but it does give us a general framework. Nowhere do you see open borders. So just like in, I'm sorry, I skipped a point to point one. I wanted to finish point two. Just as, just as voting, when it's often portrayed as bad, when you see open borders, Babel, Rome, open borders within Rome. That's why Jesus wasn't a refugee. Now, the baby Jesus and his parents could get up in the middle of the night and go to Egypt, the same reason that you and I right now can get up, and if we think we're getting an unfair shake from a court in Iowa, can, before the cops show up, go to Nebraska, Illinois, Minnesota, you know, and where they don't have jurisdiction and try to get, wait until we can get a fair shake, right? Okay? Do I need to apply to the state of Illinois to go across the Mississippi River Bridge? Do I need to do that? No. I can go that at any point in time. I can freely move. I can do that, Right. 
And that's why Jesus' parents could get up in the middle of the night and go to Egypt. They were not refugees. They were, they, were, they were citizens, not to the extent of Roman citizenship, but they were citizens, a better way of putting it, might be subjects of the Roman Empire. And these were provinces of Rome. Okay? So when we do see unified one-world governments, open borders— it's usually a tool of tyrants once they've conquered it because you, they've conquered everybody like Rome or it's Babel where the people come together and, dis, and decide to use their collective wits, wisdom and skills to bring God down to their level. Okay. So the Bible places a high priority on the dignity of the human being all throughout. And it places a high priority on the sovereignty of nations all throughout. Not just the sovereignty of the Jewish nation, where, you know, one of the first institutions God gives Israel outside of the, as part of the law, is private property. Boundary stones where you could, like, you weren't permitted to, like, ever move these. If you went into debt, if you, if you sold off your property, there were years of forbearance and jubilee so that you wouldn't have generations perpetually passing on dysfunction and debt, right? Okay? But then we go to the New Testament, where even though we have this transcendent entity now, that is no longer confined by borders in the church of Jesus Christ. Both Paul and Peter, really the senior members of the church in the first century, are very adamant. We are not to use our Christianity to, to challenge the sovereignty of nations, the sovereignties of their rulers, unless and until they command us to do that which God says is wrong. Anything short of that Anything short of that, we're actually to submit to the civil authority. And, if the, and, and part of the civil authority is they get to set and determine their own borders and boundaries. So the Bible places a high priority both on human dignity. It never affirms, and, and national sovereignty, it never affirms open borders anywhere. In fact, one of the reasons Paul, I believe, is chosen, this is my own hermeneutical conclusion, one of the reasons why Paul is chosen to be the apostle to the Gentiles is because he is a rarity in first, the first century world. You can, I'd, I'd be willing to bet there's only a handful of people that would have met this threshold. Both a respected Jewish learned authority so he could go into any synagogue, not just in Israel, but the Jews were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. He could walk into Ale huge pockets of Jews in Alexandria, Egypt. He could walk in there if he wanted to and be welcomed. He was a recognized Jewish authority, but he had full-fledged Roman citizenship, which gave him basic habeas corpus rights and privileges that the average Jew was not permitted or granted in the first century in the Roman Empire. I'm guessing the list of people that had both of those things simultaneously, the ability to walk in both worlds freely and with, and with gravitas and station and standing, probably is a very short list, I would imagine. So I don't think this was, hey, here's this Jewish leader on the road to Damascus and God played pin the tail on the donkey. Let's just go with this guy and see what he can do. I, I think he was picked for the reason. He has... He has, an, he has a level of station and standing that is very rare among both Jews and Gentiles in the Roman Empire at the time. Okay, so um, let me stop there. Did I answer your question? You did. You did. Okay. I think that'll do it. Those were a couple of, I think, a couple of good questions, good follow-ups. You may, those of you listening may have more specific questions. I don't believe any of them, though, that you would ask me 
could not be answered by the general principles we just articulated here. All right? A high, the Bible, always remember these three things. The Bible never advocates for open borders, ever. The Bible places a high premium on the inherent worth and dignity of the individual made in the likeness and image of God. And third, the Bible stresses and places not quite as high as on the individual, right? Because obviously if the individual was supposed to do whatever the states did, uh, Peter would have been crucified upside down and Paul would have been beheaded. So there is a line. That's why I did him in this order. There's no open borders in the Bible. Number two, there's a high high the high premium put on the individual made in the likeness and image of God. That's next. People matter more than governments do to God. But then third, governments, that doesn't mean governments don't matter. It's because people matter more. It doesn't mean governments don't matter. They do. And, and the Bible places in both the Old and New Testaments, it does place a premium on sovereignty and on, um, and on the dominion of human and earthly governments, provided they do not command the believer to do things that God says are wrong. Any final thoughts on that, gentlemen? It's a tour de force. No, Bob, I mean... I- I applaud you. It's fun to always uh, watch you kind of put yourself in the dock and say, shoot away. Yeah. No, that's uh, it, it. It is important always when you um, when you're trying to derive something out of the word of God. Always, always, always ha- have a high view of scriptures. Now, that, um, that means sometimes, though, that we have to just take the Bible for what it says. It yep. says what it says. And when we don't do that, either we omit or we add things that are not there. Um, and that's what I think a lot of people have been doing. We saw that last week, starting with uh, MSNBC, that Ali Velshi reading the Bible on the air, taking com- stuff completely out of t- context. But he's got, a, he's got a degree in religion. Yes, that's true, yeah. though. That is true. Yeah, don't forget. Uh, why did we even do all this? He already spoke on it, and he's got a degree <laughs> on religion. Uh, but yeah, don't have a high view of Scripture. That means taking the Bible for what it is and not adding or subtract, adding to or subtracting from what's already there. And all of this is a reminder that when the progressives all of a sudden decided to put down their uh, theocracy uh, shotguns yeah. and say, "How dare you mess? Uh, how dare you combine uh, church and state?" Now they bring out their Bible and they start beating uh, conservatives with it. It, this last week, unfortunately, the, the biggest downside of all this is how poorly prepared yeah. many were. To Sessions answer the Sessions call. answer yeah. that Romans oh, thirteen my. says you do whatever the government says is really bad. Doesn't say that. It says the exact opposite, actually, as we talked about that yes. a couple days ago on the podcast. Let me leave with one final personal thought, and I, I said this in the in the Facebook video you heard the audio of. I just said it again. I want to stress it one more time. The Bible is not a public policy manual. It is a great fountain and source of wisdom for what should be the moral basis of many public policies because it is the revelation of the only omniscient and omnipotent being in the universe, Almighty God. It is Him revealing Himself and His character to us. So we would be wise to, as often as we can, base the moral framework 
That's a key phrase there. Based the moral framework of how we govern ourselves and one another based on his revelation. Because no one's wiser than he is. No one loves us more than he does. But a framework isn't the details. Murder's bad. Okay? But the Bible doesn't tell you what should be the penalty what should be the penalty for someone who commits a crime of passion compared to vehicular homicide. See where I'm getting with this? Okay? Yeah. It, it there is a general moral framework we would be wise to emulate. But the details and the specifics are left open, open for different eras and time periods and peoples to apply as what's best for them at that time. Why? Because it's not a public policy manual. That's not its primary purpose. And so that's why some of those details are left, are not there. That's because you're asked, that's not what it's meant to do. So be, be very careful about, let me put it this way, base your public policy off of the word of God. I wouldn't necessarily write out your public policy based on the word of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Those are two different things. Yeah. I mean, I want to, okay. I want to be like Jesus, Steve. Yeah. I think you want to be like Jesus as well. That doesn't mean that because Jesus and the disciples walked to all of their destinations that we should also walk exactly. to, to all of our destinations. You know, one of my favorite right. stories in my childhood, one of my best buddies growing up, Rick O'Connor liked to grow his hair long. We had that early, late, early nineties mullet phase. Coming out of the late '80s, where dudes oh, had the long perms, right? I had a glorious moment. And and and, and his dad, Eugene, was a staunch Catholic man, staunch Catholic. We were sitting out there in their pool, having on one summer. And Rick is Rick's dad. They got more than enough money, man. They had an in-ground pool, had one of the nicest houses in the neighborhood. Eugene had the money to get, to get Rick a car. He won't buy Rick a car because he won't cut his hair. So we're sitting out there having some fun out by the pool a hot summer day in Michigan and Rick's dad Eugene's had a couple extra uh, you know uh, beers that, that, that summer afternoon and he's in a good mood let's just put it that way so Rick thinks this is the time to hit up the old man for the car and Rick says dad when are you going to buy me a car his dad said I told you not until you cut that hair and so Rick tries appealing to his dad's faith and he says pops Jesus had long hair. And Eugene, even after like six beers, man, without batting an eyelash, whips right around and looks at Rick and says, yep. And you'll notice that his dad made him walk everywhere he went to. (laughs) I have never forgotten that. That's one of the all-time great dad takedowns. Never heard that before. Of my entire life. All right. But that's how we take this. We can be careful what we do with the scriptures. We're sitting there reading stuff out of Leviticus. And like one chapter next, it's like, take your unruly kids out back and stone them if they won't listen to you. Notice Ali V, she's not reading that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so base the moral framework of your public policy off of God's revelation of his character as best as we can. Be very hesitant, though, about writing specific policy based off of God's word, because that's not its intended usage. Thank you for listening today. Hey, hit subscribe if you could. If you haven't done that yet, hit subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Leave us a positive review if you like what we do here. That would help us to spread the word to even more people. A lot of you have done that already, so thank you very much. I'm sure we'll be getting some feedback from this. We have a feedback Friday tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. 